want to give you a, a note uh, for our faith family congregation. Um, our personnel committee has been working in regards to our youth ministry, and um, they have um, come to a, a conclusion, and I would add a good conclusion, uh, of recommending uh, a person to our, our church uh, family for full-time youth ministry. Uh, his name is Trevor uh, Lyons. Uh, a young man has, has a family, and uh, we are arranging for our church on September 29th for a time for us to get to know him. Uh, at uh, 6 o'clock on that Sunday evening is opportunity for youth and their parents to come and to have a time to get to know him, ask him questions, uh, him and his wife, Julie, which speaks well uh, so far, uh, which, by the way, they have another daughter named Chris. Um, so it's kind of be a little confusing. Uh, but then also uh, at 7.30, there'll be time for uh, all of the church congregation, church family, uh, to meet with him as well, to have uh, questions uh, to be given to him. And we hope to vote uh, on this individual on the 29th uh, after all this. So I want you to write that down, especially as this does impact many of you. Uh, and uh, I've course, I've met him and uh, been very pleased with him so far and what I've come to know of him, as well as all the personnel committee uh, unanimous in this uh, presentation. So I uh, just wish you to know that uh, it does matter. Uh, this past weekend, uh, we were out uh, at Mordecai Park and had the family there. The idea was to have a nice uh, relaxing time at a bake uh, cook-off uh, that my daughters had participated in and and so I had all plans to sit on my nice easy chair and read my book in the shade as I'm watching the girls do their uh, cooking thing. And um, it, it, was, it was ruined in, in, in a lot of ways. And, and that uh, unknown to us, there was an, an ant nest of some sort uh, underneath the blanket on which Canaan was laying on. And uh, Canaan rolled off and heard some crying, and we looked, and to our horror, there were these little black ants on the leg of Canaan. Um, they were not fire ants, thankfully, but they did bite. And do you know how horrifying it is to see dozens of ants on you, much less your little baby? Uh, so we were trying to get it off, and my job then was to find medical help. Uh, and so that's what uh, that next uh, couple hours looked like for me, was, was getting help for this little one. And, 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 and we looked back later on, I thought we saw no anthill, had no way of knowing. They were just hidden underneath the grass. And as I dragged the blanket over uh, with people on it, of course, you know, that's something Dad would do, uh, it, it messed up the nest and they came out. Um, I think as I read this text this morning, as we're going in Hebrews 13, we read this, this text and it seems in the whole chapter, it seems like a little disjointed, like all these little ants coming out. Uh, and we're trying to figure out what's the connection between all of these injunctions and exhortations and commands. But what they all are coming from is a nest of faith and love. What does love coming out of faith look like? And I'm going to tell you that in that day, as it is in our day, as we read these things, 
it's going to be like ants biting us all over. And we're going to, there's going to be a wonder of where did, man, they're hitting us. I'm going to tell you, they're, they're hitting in the nest of American society, uh, this, this text is. And uh, we're going to say, where did this come from? <laughs> I'm feeling these bites. And they all spring out of the concept that's been throughout the book of Hebrews. Seek Christ. Seek him. Seek him. Don't forsake him. Seek him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Seek him more than the things around you. Therefore, let love flow out. And this is what it looks like. And it all sounded good until we see how it bites, (laughs) how it impacts our everyday. And it does. It speaks right to the heart. And so... Uh, I originally was thinking, well, let's do verses 1 through 16. Next time we'll look at verses 17 through 29. Then I started thinking as we're studying this, well, maybe, no, let's do 1 through 6. Um, But now as I come to you this morning, it could very well be that these three be three different sermons. Um, Just doing 1 through 6. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try to do what I can in getting this all in one. But I'm going to tell you, they could easily be three different sermons here. Uh, off with the same idea, but uh, very different applications. And, and the reason being, they are just so uh, right in the heart of where we are today in America. Uh, so, uh, last time we looked at uh, this idea of the kingdom that cannot be shaken, and the end result is that we're thankful, we trust God, we thank God, and we worship God. And as we looked in verse, especially in verse 28 and 29, the idea of worshiping God because God is an eliminating God. And so that we want to do those things and live such a way that matters for eternity. And so for living through things that are not eternal in perspective, God eliminates them as he is a consuming fire. And so consequently, <coughs> we see uh, verse 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. And I mentioned to you that this is our lifestyle. It's not just how we sing on Sunday. It's how we live our life every day, keeping God as reverent, keeping God as the reason for your being, as that which you are seeking throughout all things. So, if that is the case, if this is worship, if this is love out of faith, then he's going to bring out some very specific, and we're going to look at three specific areas of what this looks like. And so, we come to verse 1. And so, in honor of this being God's word, uh, let's stand as we read this together. Hebrews 13, verse 1, going through verse 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You may be seated. Love, the love that springs out of faith, looks like, first of all, unconditional kindness. 
Love that springs out of faith looks like unconditional kindness. Notice verse 1, uh, the idea, let brotherly love continue. And I love how it's phrased, let it continue. The idea is that if you are believers, if you're seeking God, you trust in Him, you, you realize that you are saved by the mercy of God, the kindness of Jesus Christ, that within that acknowledgement, there is a changing of your heart, and in that, God implants into your life love. Love of God, love of others. Remember the two things Jesus said matter the most. If you don't do anything in your life, make sure that you love God with all your heart, and the second is love your neighbor as yourself. These things spring out of the heart of God. And so when you're saved... God does a work of changing your heart to be like his heart, and so it flows. And so let it continue. In other words, it's going to be natural for us, and what we've got to look for are the barriers. If you are not a loving person, it is because dams have been placed into your life. There's a natural tendency, a natural flow toward love, Loving of your, of your God and loving of the people around you. And if there is a problem there, there is a, the dam of unbelief in your heart, in your life, that keeps that from happening. And so what he's been attacking up to this point is unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. And bringing out who Jesus is, the value, the preciousness, the character of who Christ is, what the new covenant is. He says, concentrate on these things, look unto these things, because the idea is as you let Christ be glorified... Faith builds and busts the dams of love. If a church is unloving, it is because there are large dams of unbelief in that church. Racism is unbelief. Uh, of being uh, inclusive or exclusive from others because of the things you have in common with this group of people, being the age of your kids or uh, the styles of music you listen to or, or the jobs that you have, so much so that you do not embrace others, there is an unbelief and part of this. Uh, there are dams that can exist. Let brotherly love continue. And so the idea is that this is going to happen. And, and so we've got, as we seek the Lord, this is going to build and we're going to be an enemy to the unbelief that dams this. First uh, John three fourteen says, "We know that we pass from death to life because we love our brothers." So the impulse to brother love provided a sweet inner self authentication of we know who we are. This verifies who we are because of the love that is there. Uh, John thirteen thirty five says, "All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." I shared before uh, in. Some time ago in Romans 14, that sometimes we've got to be careful that in our zeal for our personal convictions and our worship of God in that way, we never, never let that trump love for people. There is a tendency within the church that says, you know what, we're not going to be around those type of people because they've got some kind of sickness, some kind of disease because of how they live. And so we're not going to love them. Uh, notice the, the next part in verse 2. There, this is, verse 1 is talking about the, blood, the love among believers. But verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, uh, what is in mind is in Genesis 18 and 19, which some of you who were with us a couple years ago are familiar with that story. It's the simple story of Abraham hosting strangers who happened to be angels, who happened to be Jesus. And later on, Lot hosting some strangers who happened to be angels. 
And so he has this story in view, understanding, you know what, when you're a hospital to people you don't know, you have no idea how you may be worshiping God by doing that. And so he's saying, yes, God can still do things like that. And God can still send angels around us today. Uh, people that may be more than you think by just looking at them. Uh, and, and so that's something that still seems to be carried on. It's definitely not refuted in the New Testament, but acknowledged here in this passage. And so the idea uh, spoke to the uh, folks who would travel through, uh, especially pastors, preachers, uh, evangelists of some sort that would uh, host. But it has more to it than just that. This speaks to how we treat everybody. Strangers are people that, uh, you know what, you just don't expect any kind of repayment on your end. They're just traveling through, and you're just doing it because not of who they are, but because of what God is doing in your life. Now, I, I think this speaks to us as a church. Is our church known to be hospitable to the strangers in our community? Okay? Not only is it known for a love, is it to be known for a love, a brotherly love among us, but do people in our community know, hey, let's go buy green pines, let's go meet with someone. When, when they wear a green pine shirt or wear, uh, uh, when they are known for being part of green pines, does it therefore put expectations on them, on you, that they're going to be kind? Does that, a re- does that exist, that reputation exist in our church body? You see... For many years, churches attracted people and, and tried to win their community by attracting them to the building, attracting them to uh, their programs that we're doing. So the, the idea upon us was let's do things very well, just as good as how uh, unbelieving companies might do things. And so let's attract people to us. When we read this passage, now that may, there may be some sense to that in, past, in our church, but also there's the sense of, how can we serve the community? How can we go out of our way to be kind to a community around us? This was the idea behind the Hydrate Elementary. This is the idea that's, that uh, I think that uh, some of us were participating in, in taking care of homeless families that were in Hydrate Elementary. This is some of the idea behind the food pantry. Uh, this is some of the idea of many of the Love Out Loud projects that we've been doing in the various neighborhoods, is that we want to be those who show hospitality to strangers. We want to be those who show kindness, unconditional, not because uh, we're trying to uh, say, look how good we are, but as trying to say, look how good our Savior is. Look how he's treated us. Let us display that and make this the main method of how we're known. I've been encouraged in some that uh, we have people starting, starting to come to our church office. I was heard, told this week of someone who came by our office. Uh, unfortunately, none of the folks were there at the time, but uh, they were part of last year's uh, neighborhood off of uh, one of the roads nearby that we were just giving out turkeys to these families. And, and, and they said, you know what? We remember that. We're, we're having a difficult time. Uh, job's been, been cut from us. And we're, we're without, let's try green pines. Now, that means a lot more work on us. But that's okay, because we're not operating out of what's seen. Faith is what? Operating out of what's unseen. I'm going to tell you, I, I will acknowledge some of you are wondering, there is an economic uh, shortfall in our church. Um, but I'm not discouraged by that, because it lets us focus on what's really needed, as well as it helps us to trust in God and what God will do. 
Uh, and so uh, when you're operating on faith, you're operating out of what's not yet seen. And, and so sometimes in America, we have seen too much, and we operate out of that. And so uh, this economic downfall is a good thing out of faith. And so uh, the idea of verse 3, again, continues the same focus. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Now, we, in Hebrews, it's acknowledged that some of them are suffering and being placed in prison, uh, ostracized, persecuted in various ways, shut out, and, and some of them have been visiting each other. See, when you're in prison there, uh, in that day and time, they did not have government buying mills. You were in prison, make out for your, for your own. You know, maybe catch some rats or something, you know. They, they did not make provision for that. And so it was dependent on people who loved them to come to them and provide food if they wanted them to survive. Uh, and so being in prison that day and time uh, was placing you on the mercy of others. Okay? And so he says, look, they have no way of repaying you. But I acknowledge that they are one with you. When they're in prison, when they're suffering, when they're hurting, you are suffering, you are hurting. And so that applied to them locally. But we live in a day and time where uh, we, don't, we don't just have eyes for local needs, do we? We live in a day and time, because of the Internet and everything, where we see what the church as a whole is dealing with around the world. When I read this passage, it lets me know that personally, I am to take ownership when there are believers in East Asia, South Asia, and Middle East who are persecuted for their faith. When they're persecuted, I'm persecuted. I think that's why it's good for us to see some of these sites that we're seeing on the internet of people getting beat for their faith because it finally puts upon us what we are dealing with as a world. I think that's why we have the North Carolina Baptist Mission often where we do go to the world. That's why we have Alpha, Alpha International Missions, which, by the way, they have a dinner October 8th where we can be exposed uh, to what's going on around the world, especially in South Asia. So we take it upon ourselves. Now, love of faith looks like unconditional kindness. As a church, personally, we take this on. But let's keep on reading. We'll find another twist here. Maybe surprising. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So now he's talking about Love out of faith as it especially impacts the family. That, that honor is, is to be precious. Let marriage be precious. And let everybody regard it as preciousness. Among all, it doesn't matter if you're married or you're not married or whether you're widowed uh, or you're celibate. Marriage is to be held precious among all. Now, he goes on and describes a little bit about what that looks like. But let me just share with you uh, one specific way that we can hold marriage as precious. And that is to hold the standards of marriage to what God said the standards of marriage were in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. That marriage, according to Genesis 2, is between one... <laughs> One man and one woman. And that deals with mixed marriages, homosexuality, 
deals with polygamy. Any number of things that is prevalent today. So when I want to say, biblically speaking, okay, keep marriage precious, that means, one, keep the standards of which God said in Genesis 2 were marriage standards. Now, I don't think that we should be known for our hate. As believers, Jesus says, be known for your love. And so don't let it be said of Green Pines, as this community, that we hate homosexuals. But let it be said that we hold precious marriage, which means there is a very specific qualification of what marriage is. Now, society can say in America, you are backwards, you are bigoted, you are narrow-minded, you are stupid. And I'm okay with that because society is not God. It's just not God. If God says marriage is between one man and one woman, and I'm siding with that, I'm okay with that. And we need to be okay with that because we are seeking God and his city more than the city that we live in. If we seek the city that we live in more than we seek God in his city, then this becomes extremely uncomfortable, so much so that we're just not going to make that stand. We're not going to go that way. Now, there's much more to be said here. Uh, He goes in uh, even more detail here, and I'm I'm going to try to keep this age appropriate. Um, It says, let, uh, looking again at at verse 4, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Okay? Now, this terminology, marriage bed, is a euphemism. Okay? Referring to that unique physical relationship that happens between a man and a wife. The marriage bed. It says, let it be undefiled. All right? Now, he goes on and elaborates on that just a little bit more. He says, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. All right? So, he uses two terminologies. Immoral, which is a general term, term referring to any indecent sexual act. Okay? Um, and then adultery, which refers specifically to that which happens outside the marriage bounds when people are married, okay? Now, with that view in mind, he says, when you include these things in marriage, it defiles marriage. It defiles the marriage bed. It dilutes, or it pollutes it. Now, let me just use the physical imagery he's giving. Y'all like going in dirty beds that have dirt all over it? Smells? You know, thankfully my wife is very meticulous about clean sheets. You know, there's just a certain time, it's time to clean them, you know. Don't go there. So he takes that same physical image. He says, consider this with the marriage relationship. When there is physical relationships before marriage, it pollutes. It pollutes that unique Relationship within marriage. When there is relationships outside of marriage, when when you have committed to one man and one woman, whether in thought, which Jesus said is the same as the act before God, or certainly in act, it is dirtying that act, the physical act. He says, this is a very precious thing. And this is what faith 
coming out of love looks like. Man, how does this, how, how does this work? When you love your spouse out of faith, it's going to look like this. You see, if we're, we're going to emphasize brotherly kindness, brotherly love among all the people, then, then certainly to the strangers, then this also includes your spouse, does it not? So how does this look with your spouse? It says this physical act is precious. It's unique. So how does faith involve this? First of all, uh, faith believes God when he says that this marriage bed is good and clean and should be received with thanksgiving. I, I think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, when, when, God, when God through Paul was refuting uh, heretical teaching who forbid marriages. He says in verse 3, who, these who forbid marriage require absence from foods that God created. Now listen, God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The marriage bed is made by God, and it is good, and it's something we thank God for. This is something we teach those who come after us, our younger ones. We teach them this. It is not something that you feel dirty over, that you feel guilty over. It is given by God. Why do we, why do we say that? Because faith says, I'm going to believe God and what he says. He made it. He established it for this purpose. And so if he said it, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to believe that versus what my own opinion may be. Second, faith increases the joy of your marriage bed because it frees from the guilt of the past. It frees us from the guilt of the past. I know that many of us have come to the marriage with tainted past. We didn't read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, nor did we believe it. And we went against it. And so now we come to the marriage bed, and, and there are scars there for our memories, from the insecurities that may have been brought in that time. But we read Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Those who draw near to God, God cleanses their conscience. God cleanses their conscience. So they come to this time knowing that they've been forgiven by God, by faith. That history no longer matters to God. And that marriage can be still that precious gift that God intended it to be. And then also, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when you're looking at this at marriage bed by faith, it actually becomes a weapon against Satan. Becomes a weapon against Satan that God has given to us and that our bodies literally belong to one another. That is something we give. Now, now guys, I want to just mention something. If, I, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 7 for yourself. But it does not say, take the body of your wife. But it says, let it be given. All right? Let it be given. And I can say that vice versa. There is something that's beautiful about that, that God has given to us in this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, to understand how faith works. Now notice, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now listen. I have been surprised. I was just, as I thought about this, I thought, here's the reason why. Because of the judgment of God. This is a theme we find throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says this is done in the context of judgment. Hebrews 9 tells us there's going to be judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, 28 says there's going to be judgment for sin. Hebrews 7.25 says, However, God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Though this may be part of our past, God still forgives us of our past. However, let me just tell you a couple other passages. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Let's turn there for a second. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 5. Therefore, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering sacrifice to God. You notice the context of love? What does it mean to walk in love? In that same vein, he says, verse 3, this is in opposition to it. But sexual immorality and all impurity of covenants must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let me tell you, the guy that says to that girl, but I love you, it's okay. You take this passage and says, you love me? Then this tells me, verse 2, you want to walk in love? Then you're going to let this not even be named among you. Let it be named among us, verse 3, as is proper among saints. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This is verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an adulterer has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. Let me, let me take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I, I hope you get this thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1, a life that's pleasing to God. Finally then, brothers, we ask... And urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how we ought to walk and please God, as just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Remember what uh, we read together in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that, that we will seek the holiness of the Lord without which no one will see the Lord. It says... Verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called you for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know what's, you get this? Our society And I would dare say that maybe many in our church do not believe that their sexually immoral thoughts will be judged by God. They do not believe this idea. God says, keep your life pure in marriage. Keep your thoughts pure in marriage. Have one woman or one man, no other. Love them intensely, passionately, and exclusively. And so they don't believe that. And they say, God, yeah, I know that says that. But I find life more fun and more fulfilling if 
my thoughts can go a direction outside of that, or if I seek images that go outside of that, or if I seek relationships, or if I, uh, I go to these places, or go to these websites that are outside of that, knowing full well that God said no, that this is a sin. As I read in Hebrews, when you have that type of lifestyle, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 6, knowing full well, and you go full steam, there is grave, grave danger that you are hardening your heart against the word of God so much so that it is becoming evident that you have no heart for God which means that there is no believing work in your life, which means that there is no evidence of your salvation in your heart, according to Hebrews chapter 12, as we learned last week, can be so hardened that you can't even repent. Do you understand the danger of sexual immorality? Everything is at stake. And what it comes down to it is that we don't believe what Scripture says, even though it is said numerous times, almost in every time that it regards flee from sexual immorality, also tells you why, because of the judgment of God. And you see it repeated over and over again, we just don't believe it. The ants are biting. They can be deadly. But it's letting you know what faith looks like as it springs out love to your spouse. Perhaps the spouse you've not yet met. Perhaps the spouse that you're married to or the spouse that you once belonged to or the one yet to come. There is danger in this. I wish I could take each one of you individually and talk with you and tell you this. Just so you can know that it applies to every single one. Well, um, there's so much more to be said here, but let me just, last four minutes, um, look at verse 5. Love, love of faith looks like unconditional kind, kindness. Love of faith looks like a precious marriage. Hold dear. And, and let me just say, it is startling how many believers think it's okay to live together outside of marriage. And I just bring this verse to them and say, please tell me how you're holding marriage precious when that is the case. Deal with that before God. But verse 5, just as in our face, <laughs> keep your... Life free from love of money. Let me say, love of faith cannot be re reconciled with the love of money. The love springing from faith cannot be reconciled with the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. It's interesting, as you see in verse 6, he talks about how this runs away fear, ruins fear altogether. That there's the faith that carries you through fear, but more and more I see in Scripture the faith that keeps you out of fear. What kind of faith keeps you out of fear? He talks about it a little bit here. Simply, 
be content, verse 5, be content with what you have. Be content with present provision. It's not getting what you want, but wanting what you have. Do you get that? Not getting what you want, but wanting what you have. Contentment can make a poor man rich. And discontentment can take a rich man and make him poor. He says, look what you got. Be content with what you have. Isn't it amazing how the luxuries have become our necessities? I'm old enough where I actually remember the first microwave coming into our house. There's a good portion, just those who are older than me, understand there's a good portion here they don't remember that day. They don't remember when the microwave came into the house and the change it made. But you know, of all the cooking things that I had to choose, it'd be tit and tat with the refrigerator. <laughs> you know? I don't know which one. Uh, the luxury has become our necessity. And the danger of living in America is there are so many luxuries that we see as necessities. One of the things that I encourage folks to do is to get outside of this box of America so they can see what they deem as necessities are really luxuries and understand the difference between that. Now, here's a battle that is difficult. I'm telling you this today, uh, but before you get home, you will be combated with advertisements, billboards, things on the radio, things that you might see on TV. You might be watching the football game and you'll see all these images that tells you the opposite of this passage. And every single one of us has been barred. It's been said, according to the Treasure Principle book by Randy Alcorn, uh, which, by the way, we've given many uh, to you for free. We have more if you need them. Um, it's stated, according to a PBS television program, that the average American sees over a million commercials by the age of 20. And they all have this same message. You want more. You need more. Spend money to get more. Because if you don't have more, life just won't be worth it. It is that same message throughout. Well, just some things to help you here. Acknowledge that everything you have is given to you by God and belongs to God. Let me share with you something else. Put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Put your treasure where you want your heart to be. As Hebrews is telling us, live in light of eternity. Make it your aim to give more. The antidote to greed is giving. Giving, give more, not to accumulate more. As I shared with you last time, put a sticky note on all your stuff, soon to be burned. Soon to be burned. And don't live for it. Be content with the burning things you've got. This is especially powerful to me because I've been debating about the iPad. Um, I'm like, I'm reading this passage, you know? Um, I just, you know, dealing with it. Um, verse, verse 6, or verse, let me, let me share with verse 5. No, I've got to tell you this. For he has said, and he's quoting, he's combining several scriptures, Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua 1.5, several <coughs> Old Testament passages. And he says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Now, you need to understand, it, it loses something here in the translation. There are a lot of negatives in before this. Let me give you the idea uh, here, uh, what grammatically is saying. I will never, no, not never, no, never leave you, nor forsake you. That is the emphasis. It is, is double negative in one spot, triple negative in another spot, and the, and the never is at the beginning of the sentence, which tells you that's the point of emphasis. It's like we need someone to tell us 
I'm not going to leave. There's someone there in our life. <laughs> Dr. Maslow uh, stated that it's truth that the average American doesn't have a real friend in the world. Alfred Adler had said, all human failures spring from a lack of love. And I'm not sure about all this, but I do know that God is saying, I will be with you. As they're going to go through persecution, as they're going to see stuff stolen from them, uh, the Hebrews of that day, he's saying, you know what? Life isn't about the stuff. Remember what Jesus said, that life is not in the abundance of things. Keep these things in mind. And after all, in all these things, as your house is being taken from you, and these cars are being taken from you, the clothes are being limited, the food is removed as you're now in prison, as you're giving your food to help those in prison. You know what? It's okay. Be content with what you have. If you have a love of money, it'll keep you from loving people. You will either use people or you'll use money. It's one of those things that, that will happen in your life. So keep these things together and know that I will never, ever leave you. No, not ever leave you in the midst of all these things. I remember being, uh, as a little boy, playing in the basement of our house. That was our, our play area. And it was dark, and I'd fight my battles in, in the basement. You know, I was always fighting an army. Um, Somehow would die and win at the same time. Uh, it was just more dramatic that way. And, and, you know, Dad was in the study in the basement. As long as he was there, I was fine. But every once in a while, he'd, he'd leave and go on with his day. and I'd keep playing because I wanted to. But, you know, after he left, it just wasn't the same. Because every time I paused to die, I'd start hearing these click, click, click sounds and these weird sounds in the basement that never bothered me until after my dad left. You need to know, you've got a dad that says, I'm never leaving you. Those little click, click sounds of the finances and and the things of life, of the persecution and the accusers against you. He says, I'm with you in all of this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Realize his presence. Be content with the present provisions and rest in his protection. When he says, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The structure of the verse brings in contradiction what God is doing and what is man doing. The gospel is this. God's for you. (laughs) That's the gospel of saying that. God is for you. Live life knowing that God is for you. Not because of your great stellar record or your integrity or your clean thought life. It's not for these reasons that he's for you. He's for you because of Jesus but the statement's still the same. I'm for you. When you're, when you're shedding the garments of your stuff so that you can reach people, and people say, you're stupid, you're crazy, why are you doing things like that? God's saying, I'm, I'm for you. When you go and you talk to strangers, and there's every thought inside of you saying, why are you going to talk to them? That's just, no. God is saying, I'm for you. Talk to them, well, they're going to think I'm a, I'm a noodle. They're going to think I'm crazy. I'm off the rocker. And God is saying, but I'm for you. When your family comes up against you because you're leaving your stuff and you're, and you're taking your kids to dangerous spots around this world, God is saying, I'm for you. I'm for you. When you make drastic changes because of these passages, God is saying, and all these things, I am for you. Will you just follow? Will you follow him?
The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 118, verse 6, as well as this passage here. Our trust is not in material things. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. God is for you. Let love flow out of faith. Let it flow in unconditional kindness. Let it flow into a precious marriage. And let it flow so that the love of money cannot tolerate it. Let's pray.